Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. I'm Joy Livingston, and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love, and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com. Now, back to the show. Hello, this is Cynthia Chaplin. I'm an Italian wine ambassador at Vini to the International Academy and a new faculty member for VIA. It's my pleasure today to be talking to Sarah Heller, MW, who is one of our chief faculty members, about the VIA program and in particular the tasting grid that forms the central pillar of the study process for VIA candidates. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Cynthia. Great to be speaking with you. And you. Why don't you just give us a, a little skinny background of you, and, and we'll go from there. Sure. Um, so I've been working in the wine industry uh, since loosely since 2008, when I, I first became interested in wine through food and was working in Hello, Italian restaurants. Hello, this is Cynthia Chaplin. I am an Italian wine Italy, ambassador in at Vini and as a result, Academy, and I got completely diverted from the food Bia. track to it's the wine track in the interim, to managed to work, work with Deborah Myberg, MW, who, as well as being one of the first masters of wine in Asia, was also increasingly involved with Italian wine as I was working with and so after passing the Master of Wine in 2017, I, have, having taken the VIA program, um, got back into a conversation with Stevie Kim, and I, I joined the inaugural edition of VIA, and excited as I was about the level of the level of depth and the really detailed knowledge it was giving the students who signed up for the program, I felt that there were a lot of tweaks that could be made to make it more market-friendly, to really ensure that, that wine professionals, particularly from my part of the world, where we're warming up to Italian wine, but really don't have that much experience with it on the whole. For those of you who don't know, Sarah's in Hong Kong these days, so she's she's got the Asian market at her feet there. Well, thank you. So, I mean, my experience was that on the first course that I joined, I noticed that we had a really big group from from China and from from greater China, in fact. And at the time, especially, we just didn't have the experience with Italian wine that I think was necessary to get as much as some of the North American and European students did out of that that kind of in-depth via native grape variety brilliance. And so when I joined, I really wanted to focus on making sure we had the basics really nailed down. And that was also facilitated by the fact that VIA had introduced more tiers, right? So Maestro was starting to be rolled out and there were more materials being produced to help people get to the level where they could really get something out of VIA and, and all sort of be on the same page to start off with. Um, and the other thing I really, really wanted to make happen was make tasting an integral part of the program. I think it's something that makes VIA completely unique is that not only are we talking about these native grape variety wines, um, which are part of Italy's you know, cultural USP, 
but also explaining to people how to taste them, how to appreciate the uniqueness. Absolutely. And I think the, the via tasting approach is something that is really fundamental to what we're doing. Italian wines are pretty unique in the world and, and do have a lot of elements that we don't experience in some of the more international varieties in other countries. So the development of the grid and, and the approach to teaching it has really formed a central part in the course that I think is so important for everyone and a huge benefit to taking the course. Thanks, Cynthia. I really, it, it feels like my baby, this, this tasting portion, and I am so excited with the way that it's evolved. We decided today to record this new podcast partly because the grid has, I would say, evolved over time, partly in order to make sure that it really is fit for purpose, right? Our, our intention with this grid is to be able to tease out the distinctions between native grape varieties that, to the absolute beginner, can, can maybe seem somewhat indistinguishable or, or hard to describe one or the other. And uh, I mean, I think of it like an instrument, right? If your instrument is not sensitive to the right factors, you may end up seeing you know, one color as exactly the same. But if, if you had that, that distinction, maybe to pick up differences in vibrance or differences in, in intensity, you might be able to tell this green from that green. That's a really good comparison. I think, you know, when we talk about where most of our students come from around the world, not having had a lot of experience with Italian whites in particular, tuning your instrument to, to the particular elements that we find in Italian native grapes is, is something that's really important to do. And it does unlock the door of understanding these grapes and these wines a lot better. Completely. I mean, I think there's, unfortunately, Italy has developed a reputation in, uh, in the larger wine world for having kind of neutral white grape varieties. And I think it's that the way that the wines are made really relies heavily on the primary characters of the grapes. And because they're not familiar to the vast majority of drinkers, you know, it, it's kind of like talking to somebody who doesn't really know about wine. And when they, when they smell it, they say, well, it smells like wine. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And the means by which to distinguish these really quite subtle differences, you don't, sometimes when you don't have the vocabulary, you don't have the, the psychological constructs to perceive, right? So put, put the language in people's vocabulary. And it, it's a great tool to give everybody in the program. Uh, I think as educators, we've all been in that situation where, you know, if someone describes a wine as, you know, oh, it smells like my grandmother's closet you know, really standardizing the language is a tool that is just invaluable to people who are new to Italian wine or who are not only wanting to develop their own understanding, but also be able to explain to their clients, to their distributors, you know, to whatever section of the market they're working in, how to, how to actually discuss these wines in a standardized way. Absolutely. It is also, I mean, the, the challenge that we kind of bought up against on the other side is that if you become too specific, and particularly the aroma descriptors, if they become too specific to Italy, then you end up in a position where we understand as a community what we're talking about, but everybody else doesn't. So it's it's a fine line, right? Trying to trying to get something that distinguishes between our varieties, but still allows us to talk to everybody else. Absolutely. And I, I love the fact that the grid itself is quite similar in some ways to the WSET grid. So the the language and the format of it is not shockingly new to anyone 
who takes the course. It's it comes from something that's already in existence and then fine tunes it a little bit for Italian specialty grapes. And I think that's a that's a great path to follow. Thank you. Yeah, that was I mean, we wanted to make sure that we're not a complete shock to the system, right? I mean, because Italian wine is is still wine, right? It's not like we're introducing some completely new set of uh, descriptors, like say, if you were if you were to start studying Maotai, where the aromas are microbiological, right? So that that that's sort of on a totally different path. There is there is obviously some overlap, and we want we want, as I say, to maintain communication between this. Italian wine universe that we're trying to build and and the rest of the rest of the wine world. Of course, and the the title of of ambassador means just that. We want to equip people to be able to go out and be ambassadors for Italian wine in in a way that is useful and marketable and enjoyable and fun. Exactly. So Sarah, taking a look at the Via Tasting Grid, um it is very intellectually precise separated as other tasting grids like WSET and others into categories of appearance, aromas and flavors, structure and quality. Within there comes all the detail that you and Henry have worked so hard to develop that makes this grid so functional. Let's just start with the appearance and and how you work with the grid and the booklet. Yeah, so with every set of observations we ask students to make, we really almost want them to be thinking ahead to what those observations signify, right? That I think there's a, a step that happens, I noticed when I was studying the WSET and then moving to the Master of Wine, between the more WSET way of thinking about wine, where it's really just about recording your observations, and then holistically you, from that you try to make an assessment of what the wine is and quality and things, but you're not required to connect the dots that clearly. Um, Something to bring to this program is really making people think at every stage, okay, what does my observation mean about the wine? So for color intensity, often it can do, it can have to do with the ripeness of the wine. Typically a very kind of pale, watery white wine would be from a cooler climate or from less ripe grapes. But there are obviously other confounding factors. Uh, nothing, Nothing is quite that straightforward, but we want people to be thinking about it right from the beginning. Hue with white wine, the special significance with in Italian in the Italian wine universe is that we talk a lot about the green grapes, right? The verde grapes as ones that have green skins. And so straw we put in as a color as something that has green reflections in it. I think this is, Henry and I were talking about this, this is something that's caused a little bit of confusion, but straw we really define as something in which you get reflections of green. And it works really well also for, for people who live and work in Italian wine and with Italian sommeliers because they use the word straw to describe exactly those wines. So we're following on from the tradition of Italian wine world that already exists and it separates it from the next one, which is the lemon, more yellowy. Exactly. Lemon is kind of, in a way, the default for the international wine community. I mean, obviously, there are a few grapes internationally. Sauvignon Blanc can often have a straw hue. But lemon, I think of as kind of the default. And then gold is really something we're looking at more when we have heavier skin contact or maturity or an you know, oxidative handling. Absolutely. It's it's very nice to, to also have the added ability to 
decide whether or not what you're looking at in your glass is pale or medium or deep of straw or lemon or gold. So yet another layer, as you said, of really observing the wine and thinking about what is causing what you're seeing. Absolutely. And then for red, there's a there's kind of a parallel because we talk extensively in the course about the anthocyanidins in Italian red grape varieties and how they typically don't result in this deep purple hue. So whereas often when we're thinking about international grape varieties, a lot of it can be to do with the way that the wine is made. If Italian red grapes are being in an unadulterated fashion, which we really hope that they are if they're labeled as such, you really shouldn't be picking up any purple or bluish hues. And in fact, we sometimes sneakily tell the students they have a white napkin handy while they're doing their tasting. They can do a little bit of a chromatogram and detect whether there is any blue in, in their in their wine. Exactly. And and that's that has become something that happens just as much as, as people in the class will get to tannins. We have all been trained by you kindly to stare into our spit cup. So not only do we pour our wine on a sneaky paper napkin, but we also stare into our spit cup. So this is the level that we're going to with this grid. But it does make uh, it 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 not only is a tool for really careful and thoughtful wine tasting and wine observing, but it does make a sense of community where where we do understand what each other is saying about this. You're absolutely right. I, I don't know how I feel about being responsible for creating a, a community of spit cup starers, but I'll I'll take it as a compliment. I think I'm gonna start a new hashtag stare into your spit cup. <laughs> Well, also the last color um, that you discuss on the grid is has to do with rosé. is a particular area of interest for me, and I found this a really interesting and useful description of hue because it allows for those coppery notes that we often get in Italy. Yeah, absolutely. We we conceived of this last color spectrum partly to deal with rosato, but also to some extent with orange wines um, because those are increasingly we're increasingly finding those important in the course as those styles become more broadly accepted internationally. Absolutely. And I think the more natural winemaking we see and more use of unconventional vessels, terracotta and things, it's going to be more and more um, necessary to be able to understand that orange element in a wine. Definitely. So moving on to the next bit, which on the grid itself just looks like a series of six blank lines and and you think, oh, great, easy. This is actually the 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 more complex, um, often perplexing, but certainly the most interesting and detailed area, the aromas and the flavors. Absolutely. So we have it, the just as a basic kind of logistical matter, we have it laid out with six spaces because we allow students to name up to six descriptors of which they will only get four points, right? So we say there are effectively two discards, Henry and I have been known on occasion to take so much offense at the inclusion of of what we feel to be an inappropriate descriptor that we feel tempted to remove a mark, but we generally don't. We we, we allow people some latitude on their extra two. The generosity of spirit. (laughs) Oh, we try to summon it up. No, but the aromas and flavors, this part of the grid is something that we've really expanded for the purposes of the new Via Tasting booklet. So it kind of opens out to this entire next couple of pages, the aroma and flavor lexicon that we've given, really trying again to link aromas to winemaking factors or grape variety or origins or or something. 
so that people are thinking in this kind of logically connected manner. Really, as I was saying before, when we were talking about white uh, native grape wines in Italy, because winemaking kind of in the wake of the move towards this clean, temperature-controlled stainless steel fermentation movement in the northeast of Italy, increasingly there's a there's a heavy reliance on the primary aromas of the grapes to, to give any sort of character, but, but they're quite subtle. And it's often not so much, I find, specific fruit aromas as non-fruit primary aromas, so herbs or spices or flowers. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I think the, the development of the lexicon and the ability to draw from words that a lot of people aren't familiar with, acacia, elderflower, rhubarb, different things, adds another layer of understanding and, and conceptualization and ability to discuss. That definitely was, was what we were hoping, hoping to achieve. We de- definitely didn't want to be too prescriptive or suggest that we've covered everything in the lexicon, but just to kind of stimulate people's, people's thinking process. So in the fruit, there was, there was a question over how exactly we should categorize. And ultimately, I think I pushed my you know, visual thinking I, agenda in the sense that I decided that color would be the way that we categorize fruit from kind of at, a, at the top level, with the rationale being that in my mind, most grape varieties, Italian native grape varieties, express one max two color families of fruit. And so the thinking was that from the point of having identified what color tone the fruit is, it might already put you on a path towards picking a particular variety. Very helpful. Very helpful when there are so many native grape varieties to study. It's useful to get your mind trained, that that sort of muscle movement to jump from what do I see uh, it's it's a greenish color in my glass, so my fruit category is going to be a greenish fruit. Very useful and saves time. Thanks. That is that is the hope, definitely, that it kind of streamlines people's thinking. You can get into this mode when you're panicking, particularly where you just sort of reach <laughs> reach into the fruit fruit salad and try to come up with descriptors. And I think having some kind of rubric or, or algorithm to, to, to think of it in more kind of coding terms. Absolutely, absolutely. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.